0: Hello again, new dads. If you're juggling parenthood and your fitness goals, you are in the right place. Today, I will make gym programming easy so that you can maximize your gains in minimal time. And I want you to become the uber dad one rep at a time. Welcome to Fitness for Fatherhood, the podcast helping first-time fathers find the time to regain their health and fitness to become the superhero dads their kids look up to. I'm Stacey Liddell, Your host, a qualified personal trainer, two-time amateur physique competitor, and a soon-to-be dad, I firmly believe that a healthy body and mind are the cornerstones to a fulfilling life. Get ready to gain actionable tools and strategies from real-life examples to take control of your health and fitness to become the superhero dad your kids can look up to. To all the busy dads listening out there, in today's episode, I'm demystifying gym programming for the new father. Here are three reasons you'll want to stick around. I'll uncover the secrets of optimal gym program design. I'll be sharing how I go about choosing the exercise I want to include in my program so that you can make the most of your time in the gym without stressing about giving up on daddy duty. I'll also talk about how when your fitness level changes, you should change your program as well. I'll guide you through the strategies to adapt your workouts seamlessly, keeping you on track With the ever-evolving fitness journey. Before we jump into today's content, I just want to remind you that the previous two episodes link beautifully with today's content. If you haven't already listened to them, I encourage you to do so before you listen to this episode. I know I said I would cover sleep and nutrition today in my previous episode, but I've looked at my notes and I think the program design and exercise selection sections are going to fill an entire episode, so I promise to bring you that content in the next episode. Today, I want to start with optimal program design to help you get started with your actual workouts as soon as possible. I'll preface this with a quick explanation of why I believe the principles that I do. As I've mentioned before in this podcast, I learned everything I know about personal training from the one and only Menno Henselmans. If you don't know who Menno is, I would suggest you do a quick Google search and you'll see that he's a researcher. In bodybuilding but he's also done loads of coaching as a personal trainer and he's also taught hundreds if not thousands of people how to apply the principles that he's learned from his research in the exercise world and I did his personal training certificate and as a result I follow the principles that he teaches. I use scientifically backed studies to inform my decisions. The one group of people who often disagree with what I advocate for, are the gym bros. And I used to buy into this rhetoric as well as a former gym bro myself. I still see a lot of partial reps, training to failure on every set, and strict rep ranges, combined with low-frequency training of each muscle group. And the last thing I want you to do is train intuitively like this and based solely on your feelings. So I want to start off firstly by debunking some common myths around training, and then I'll get into exercise selection and how I go about choosing my exercises. Some people swear by one minute rest timers, while others will say you should rest for three minutes to recover fully between sets. So what is the perfect rest time between sets? Unfortunately, there isn't a concrete answer that fits each and every individual. But please, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. The length of your rest period does matter. You shouldn't just stick to an arbitrary rest time because a program on the internet or in a men's health magazine says rest for 60 seconds or whatever it may be. The reason why it matters is because the overall time you rest will affect the volume you're able to perform. So, what do I mean by that? I mean that if you rest for 60 seconds, your next set, you're going to do fewer reps than if you rested for two minutes or three minutes. And so my advice here is that you aim to focus on the volume you want to achieve rather than the rest you need. Doing so will mean that it makes sure you get enough rest between sets so that you can hit the volume required. In practice, shorter rest intervals will mean that you're performing fewer reps in subsequent sets and therefore training volume decreases so generally speaking one minute of rest has negative consequences for muscle growth if you do opt for shorter rest periods i would advise that you do more sets to compensate for the decreased rep volume across those sets on the flip side if you're getting enough rest and you want to increase the time you rest to do more volume this could counterintuitively actually negatively affect your muscle growth because you might overreach in your training the next thing i want to talk about is training frequency last time on the show i said that i want you to cultivate a gym habit by hitting the weights roughly twice a week before you lose your shit and tell me that you can't build muscle like that remember this recommendation was for beginners who are not lifting at all yet I think it's important to address training frequency for those of you who feel like they want to step it up and train each muscle group more often than what I've recommended previously. First off, I just wanna say a congratulations to those of you who want to commit to doing more. The science shows that you likely want to hit each muscle group twice a week for maximum muscular development. So doing one body part a week, like a lot of the cookie cutter programs, is not going to cut it. Moving on to training intensity, and I'm not talking about perceived exertion or how the training makes you feel here. I mean what percentage of your one rep maximum are you lifting for a given exercise. As I mentioned previously, I want you to stop thinking of rep ranges in a strict fashion. So what do I mean by that? I mean that you should stop thinking of lower rep ranges as strength-building exercises, mid-rep ranges as hypertrophy exercises, and anything above that as endurance training for muscle. So when I talk about low rep ranges, I normally am referring to 1 to 5 reps. The mid-rep ranges would be 6 to 12, and anything above 12 would be considered high rep ranges. The truth is that there's a wide range that you can perform to see equivalent growth in muscle. The science that I've seen on this shows the range is around 5 to 30 reps for most individuals. This normally equates to 30% to 85% of your one rep maximum. So 30% would be on the higher end, that's doing 30 reps per set, and 85% would be around 5 reps per set. If you want to use heavier loads, I normally advise adding additional sets to get the muscles to experience enough time under tension in practice i would say that changing your rep range is probably the best thing you can do because different rep ranges activate different muscle fibers and produce different types of muscular fatigue so the takeaway here is that you should not limit yourself to the supposed hypertrophy zone of 6 to 12 repetitions another thing i want to cover is training to failure This is one of the most pervasive myths about training, and I believe it was popularized by bodybuilders of old. While I have incredible respect for people like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Ronnie Coleman, this training style isn't completely necessary for you. Remember, you're not trying to compete as Mr. Olympia, and also you're probably likely not using the enhancements that they were using to get the response from their muscles to grow. And so while that might be necessary for a high-level competitor, I don't think it's necessary to stimulate your muscles to grow in the way that you want to. Now, I don't want you to think that there is no benefit in training to failure, as some studies do suggest there is more muscular growth when training like this, but I don't think it's completely necessary on every single set. If you feel like you have more gas in the tank, Rather than training to failure on each set, I would say include more sub-maximal sets into your workouts. The reason I make this recommendation is that a set to failure is very taxing and your recovery time will need to be increased for you to perform subsequent sets. Your goal is to hit the volume you want. Remember, that is fundamental. You can use training to failure occasionally, but it does not have to be a staple in every exercise that you do. With those myths busted, let's get into exercise selection and the seven principles that I rely on when selecting exercises. These are a little bit technical and I am planning to do an episode next week where I distill the practical value of what I'm going to say today and show you how I go about making decisions between different exercises. So today I'll just touch on them and hopefully this helps you choose the best exercises based on the goals that you're striving for. Number one is what we call the limit factor. You want to make sure the exercise you're performing sets the limiting factor to the body part you are training. And just by listening to myself say that, I realized that this could be confusing to a lot of you. So let me try and clear up what I mean. If you're doing deadlifts, for example, you're trying to train what we call the posterior chain. That's sort of the back portion of your body, right? Your glutes, your hamstrings, If your grip is the thing that fails every time you attempt deadlifts, you are never going to train your posterior chain optimally. This would make deadlifts ineffective for what you're trying to accomplish. So if this is a concern, you could use gym wraps. And this is actually one of the few times I advocate for using gym equipment or gym accessories to help you lift. This will help you overcome the limiting factor, which in this case is your grip strength. You could also choose a different exercise. Maybe you could try and use machines to isolate these muscles. And I would say you should pay attention to which muscles are getting fatigued when you train. If it's not the target muscle group, this means there are better choices out there. The next principle is compoundedness. I believe that compound exercises are superior to isolation exercises for any given body part, as long as it meets the other criteria on this list. In my opinion, it's better to train three muscles at once than training them one by one, and especially for those of you who are extremely busy, it's going to help you save time. You may be asking why it's better to train compound versus isolation. The science shows that compound exercises place higher cardiorespiratory, hormonal, and neurological demands on the body. They're also a more natural way of moving and this often makes them safer on your joints. They also happen to match the criteria of the other six principles that I'm discussing, which makes them perfect for exercise selection. The practical takeaway here is that you should incorporate compound movements into your workouts, and they should take priority over isolation exercises in most cases. This is not to say that isolation exercises should be completely avoided, because it really depends on what you're trying to target third principle is range of motion. The studies show that using a full range of motion is very important when you train. It's certainly better to use full range of motion than partial reps for strength and maybe even for size. Training with full range of motion is also great for mobility, it increases the muscle length and is less stressful for your nervous system and joints because you can use lighter loads training like this and achieve the same muscular activation. This is a principle we should apply to every single exercise. It shouldn't matter if it's a pushing movement, like the bench press, or a pulling movement, like pull-ups. Some other points here to mention are that the gym equipment you are using should touch your body at some point if possible. Think about when you're doing a bench press. Are you getting the bar to touch your chest? And the optimal grip is likely going to be shoulder width apart, but this is not always the case. I know for myself and for many people, when doing a military press, you might want to put your hands slightly wider than shoulder width apart. And the last thing here is that you should take safety seriously. If you're not comfortable with full range of motion because you're a beginner, take your time. It's going to take a bit of time for you to get there, and that's okay. I don't expect you to have full range of motion for every single exercise, straight off the bat. It's something you're going to develop over time as you get more practice and as your body and mind adapt to training. Principle four is tissue stress distribution. And this is a bit of a technical one. So here the emphasis should be on the exercises that apply maximum stress to the targeted tissues and minimal stress to peripheral tissues, such as your tendons. Certain movements may be more favorable than others based on this principle, including favoring free weights over machines, opting for closed kinetic chain exercises, and avoiding movements that stress the body unnaturally. Some of this language is a bit technical, as I said, so let me try and expand a bit here to help those of you who don't understand what I mean. Exercises such as dips, behind-the-neck presses, and behind-the-body raises Are very unnatural these exercises place unnecessary stress on shoulders in particular and in my opinion should be avoided your core should be engaged when you train and you should never round your back either you should keep it neutral or arched when appropriate and just to clear up what a closed kinetic chain movement is these are movements which have you fix your hands or feet in place for the given movement, and you move your body, not the equipment. For example, a squat is a closed kinetic chain movement because your feet stay fixed in place and you raise your body up and down. For a push-up, your hands are fixed in place while you press your body up and down. So I hope that helps clarify what a closed kinetic chain movement is. The fifth principle to consider is dynamic contraction. Exercises that have both eccentric and concentric contractions are best. Eccentric means when the muscle lengthens and concentric means when the muscles shorten. The science is clear on this. These kinds of exercises are also better for your joints. Doing an eccentric contraction before the concentric contraction often maximizes the amount of force the muscles can produce. Your muscles kind of act like a spring in this regard. If we take the squat as an example, when you load the muscle with the eccentric phase, this is lowering down the body, you're able to more easily get that same weight back up through the concentric phase. If you aren't familiar with the eccentric or concentric phase of each exercise, I suggest you ask a personal trainer, or you can simply jump on Google to find that information quite quickly and easily. Principle six is the strength curve the strength curve equals the resistance curve. And let me break this down because it's also a bit of a technical point. The main thing here is that for an exercise to be optimally effective, the resistance it provides should match a healthy person's natural strength curve. This means that the level of resistance you feel during the exercise should align with how strong you are at each point in the movement. If there's a mismatch, some muscles may not get stimulated enough For optimal growth. This is probably best explained using an analogy, so I want you to think about doing an exercise such as climbing a hill. At the base of the hill, this is where you have most of your energy and strength. You haven't started training yet, so it's going to be easier for you to start climbing. This would represent the beginning of your exercise movement. As you start reaching the middle of the hill, it's going to get a bit harder. You're exerting more strength to keep climbing. This is the middle of your exercise movement. By the time you reach the top, you've used up most of your strength. This is the end of your exercise movement. And in an ideal world, the hill would perfectly be designed to match your strength. Steeper at the bottom where you have more energy and less steep at the top when you're tired. This is what I mean by matching the exercise resistance to your natural strength curve. It's like having a hill that matches your energy levels perfectly. Now let's say you're climbing a hill that's very steep at the top when you're already tired. It's going to be much more of a struggle because you're tired, right? So much so that you may not even reach the top of the hill. In exercise terms, this means you're doing a movement that's too hard when your muscles are already tired. Some of your muscles might not be getting a good workout because of this. The key point is that the exercise that you do should fit with your strength levels throughout the movement. That way, all your muscles get a good, balanced workout. If you find yourself always getting stuck at the same point in an exercise, it might be because some of your muscles are weaker and need a bit more tension in those spots. So I can already hear the question and people wanting to ask, well, how do I determine my strength curve? How do I know where I'm weaker? and your strength curve is a way of describing where you feel most and least strong during a specific exercise. It's like a map of your strength throughout the movement. Imagine you're opening a heavy door. When the door is fully closed, it's hard to start pulling it open. That's the start of the movement. You don't have any inertia, right? You might feel your muscles working very hard to get that door open. As you keep pulling, the door may get easier to move, so you're not working as hard. This is the middle part of the movement. Finally, when the door is almost all the way open, it might get heavy again because of the angle. This is the end of the movement. This is like a strength curve for opening a door. You're working hard at the start and at the end, but not so much in the middle. To figure out your own strength curve, pay attention to when exercises feel the hardest. This might be at the start, middle, or end of the movement. For example, if you're doing a push-up, you might feel weakest at the bottom, that's the start of the movement, and maybe halfway through the push-up, the middle, and you might feel strongest at the top. But if you're doing a pull-up, you might feel weakest when trying to pull your chest all the way up to the bar. This is the end of the movement. So you can see for different movements, you might have different strength curves. Knowing your strength curve can help you understand which muscles might need a little extra attention and how to adjust your exercises for the best workout. Don't run from your weak areas. This is copping out and you're likely violating the range of motion principle that I discussed earlier. Find out where you're weakest and strengthen it. Two great pieces of equipment that can help you in these situations are bands and chains. These tools can change the weight you're lifting as you move. For example, when you squat, and you have a chain on the bar, the chain is going to pile up on the ground, making it lighter, so you're lifting less weight. As you stand up and lift the chain off the floor, the weight increases. Studies have shown that this method called accommodating resistance can lead to more strength gains and muscle growth. It's like a custom fit workout for your muscles. However, figuring out the right amount of chain or band to use can be tricky in practice, which is why some studies have found there's no difference in using these methods. But overall, it seems that this method can make workouts more effective. If chains and bands aren't available to you, this is not the end of the world, but these can be a great help, especially for those of you who are experienced lifters. The final principle is what they call microloadability. An optimal exercise allows for precise control of resistance, both in terms of maximum weight and small incremental increases. Exercises that allow for high absolute loads as well as small incremental progressions are ideal for building mass. Bodyweight exercises, while beneficial in terms of kinetic chain, can limit you in terms of absolute loading. Many exercises, such as machines and dumbbells, have limitations in terms of incremental loading due to fixed weight increments. When planning your workout, consider exercises that allow for both high weights and small increments. For example, barbell exercises tend to be more micro-loadable than machines or bodyweight exercises. As you progress beyond beginner and intermediate stages, your progression may require smaller, more precise increases in weight. Make sure your gym has small enough plates. If they don't, you could consider investing in micro plates of your own. This is something that I actually did when I lived in Cape Town. Once I got to the plateau area of my lifts, I couldn't add an extra five kilos at a time to my bench press or my squat. I was adding about a kilo at a time after that with micro plates. If you're stuck with larger weight increments, like those are machines or dumbbells, consider upping your reps per set before moving on to the next weight increment to ensure a more gradual progression. Remember, progression is not always about lifting heavier weights. Improving your form, increasing the number of reps you perform, or reducing the rest time between sets can also be effective ways to see progress. And that wraps up this episode of Fitness for Fatherhood. I hope you enjoyed demystifying gym programming and gaining valuable insights into exercise selection. Remember as new dads we have the power to prioritize our health and fitness setting an example for our little ones. Stay tuned for the next episode where I'll delve into the essential topics of sleep and nutrition as I promised. These foundational pillars will further enhance your journey to become the superhero dad your kids deserve. If you haven't already make sure you catch up on our previous episodes. They're filled with valuable information that complements today's discussion. So take a moment to listen and absorb the knowledge that I've shared. Don't forget to subscribe to Fitness for Fatherhood. You never miss an episode this way. Together, we will navigate the challenges of fatherhood while reclaiming our health and well-being. Let's be the role models our children strive to be and create a future filled with strength, vitality, and love.